Good evening, everybody. It's Mario with Motorcycle Knuckle Busters, and we're at it again. Um, once again, we're attempting to bring you a bunch of great guests. Uh, this guest this evening, I think, is going to be a lot of fun. Um, we really here at the show, we embrace the diversity of the motorcycle community. We think uh, people don't understand, you know, everybody that's out there, the talent that's out there. You know, the four corners of the world brings a lot of great people to what we do and what we enjoy. My next guest, uh, for, you, for those of you that know me, you know that I like adventure. I like travel. Um, I love culture. Uh, and I love to read. So this next guest really covers all those things. Uh, I've been to 50 countries. He's blown that away. Uh, I've been to, you know, I, I've, I've ridden a bunch of different places. I've tried a bunch of different things. Uh, I've experienced a lot of stuff, but this gentleman is, has done it all. And he's got a lot of books about it. And that's how I'm tied in the books. But he's done documentaries on his writing and everything else. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Dr. Gregory Frazier. Hi, Mario. Nice to be with your audience. Well, it's great to have you, and I and I'm sure they're really looking forward to you know hearing more about you and and all of your adventures and everything else. So, thank you for coming on this evening. I know uh, you've you've got a lot of things that are going on, so taking a little time out of your day to do this isn't always the easiest thing. So, I uh, really want to start. You know, really start with the. The early stuff. I mean, I don't know, you know, I'm familiar with some of your books and, and some of the things you've done, but uh, where did you grow up at? Where were you raised? Um, I was raised by a Quaker family. Uh, I went to a Quaker boarding school. The Quakers had me under their thumb until I could wiggle out on a motorcycle and get out onto the roads of America, much in the way Kerouac uh, uh, reported in On the Road with his. Uh, a monumental book, which is really a, a template for a lot of travel, motorcycle, films, and books. Um, anyway, I I, uh, I got on my first motorcycle at the age of about 15. My buddy had a moped. You remember those two-stroke kind of pedal? And uh, he let me ride about uh, maybe two or 300 yards, turn around and come back, and I was hooked. And uh, that motorcycle experience... Uh, took me out from under the thumb of the Quakers. I got out of a Quaker college and uh, dropped out, uh, inhaled a lot of um, plant extract uh, in the early 60s, but I was hooked on the motorcycles. I think in 68, uh, uh, my antenna went up when I heard a song that said, get out on the highway looking for adventure. Uh, and that was the lead for a movie that went on to be a, a rock movie. And still, I watch it once a year just to just to get with the guys in the movie. You know, they're so cool. Right. Anyway, that's uh, that's how I got into it. Uh, motorcycles. Um, my uh, Quaker parents were against it. My uh, uh, girlfriend at the time was kind of eh, motorcycles. Why don't you get a car? Um, sure. And, uh, uh, I did have a car. I had a couple of them. My first one was a hearse. Uh, and I thought, well, that, that'll let the motorcycle fit in the back. Um, nice Cadillac, 1949. But uh, I was still hooked on the motorcycles. And uh, today I'm still hooked. I still find that after a million miles and six rides around the world, getting on a motorcycle for me is still fun. I look forward to the challenge of uh, dealing with traffic, weather, road conditions, uh, and managing them, not to a degree where I'm unhappy doing it. Well, nobody wants to be in the cold, but I still got a smile on my face at the end of the day. It's still fun. So so growing up in a, in a Quaker uh, family, I mean, uh, now... Now, Quakers, you know, the stronghold for Quakers back in early times was Pennsylvania. So where was that at? I went to a Quaker boarding school in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I went to a Quaker okay. college for two years in Indiana. Uh, and uh, that's where I wiggled out from under the Quaker thumb. But uh, okay. I'm, I'm based out there in the East Coast. That's the heritage. Okay. Yeah, I figured as much so. 
and then uh so then you're you you know you get 15 you discover what you know what it's like to get on two wheels you know the love starts growing and everything else but uh you've got doctor before your name so obviously you went back to school so where'd you go to school at well <laughs> actually i dropped out my parents wanted me to be a physician uh, my grandfather was uh, the second American Indian doctor in the country, and I was supposed to follow in his footsteps. And uh, one day, looking through a microscope and an amoeba split, uh, I heard my buddies Harley out in the parking lot. And I said, I'm out. No more of looking at amoebas splitting under my microscopes. <laughs> I'm going to be on the motorcycles. So uh, <laughs> I uh, dropped out, tuned in. Uh, I'm one of those. Um, guys at uh, Woodstock era, let's put it that way. Um, My first motorcycle uh, was a 305 Superhawk Honda. Uh, In Japanese, they called it a beer can motorcycle. And I took that to Sturgis. I was the only guy on a Japanese motorcycle at Sturgis camped out in the city park back in, uh, that must have been uh, 67. Um, and uh, I trashed it pretty good. I didn't, you know, my learning curve was still pretty steep. Um, I got rid of it. And then I, a year later, I met a guy in Co- um, Cook City, Montana, and he was on one of those super hawks, had his kid on the back. I had traveled across the country with a guy on the back, overloaded. And I, I told the guy, I said, you know, I blew up a super hawk just like you're using. Uh, and, and his buddy had a BMW R60, and it was beautiful. And uh, sure. the, the guy said, well, you know, uh, I'm having trouble with my Superhawk up here at the high altitude. What do you think? And I think I said something like, well, my next motorcycle is going to be like the, like your buddies at BMW. It's maintenance free. Little did I know that this guy went on to write a million seller book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Um, I was hacked, uh, but uh, uh, I did buy a, a, a brand new BMW that year, as I predicted, and I found out that all motorcycles require a degree of maintenance. Um, my second motorcycle was a $25 Indian Chief, 1945, and that's where the adventure began. Uh, getting across town on a $25 Indian Chief was an adventure. I know. Um, <laughs> well, uh, the, the the guys in Billings, Montana, that were in the Indian Club said, "Look, we'll we'll teach you how to be a motorcyclist and how to maintain your motorcycle, and you know the right and wrong things to do." But there's one rule. I said, "Rule? What rule?" And they said, "You don't cross the line to the Harley Davidson guys." And this this is back in the sixties. There there was a real line in the sand. You were an Indian guy, you big were time. big time. Anyway, I I eventually crossed the, the line and, and got into the Harley world a few times. To me, they're they're machines and uh I love them. Um I uh uh still have uh, one Indian chief and uh I pet it as I walk by. Um I don't think I'll let it go. But anyway, that's that's some of the history. Um, I went on to be a, you asked about my education. I went on to uh, uh, get a master's degree in business. I had a, a bachelor's degree in business and I ended up uh, in the world of economics. Uh, and then I became a corporate pooch, you know, the, the ties and the uh, uh, accountants and the lawyers and the, and the big money game. And one day I was sitting across from a lawyer a CPA and a guy from the IRS and they were grilling me in my office. And I saw a guy in a Harley go past the window with a sleeping bag on the back. And I said, I'm out of this corporate world. I want to do what that guy's doing. Now I just have to figure out a way to to pay for it. And when you go into the educational world uh, to that degree, you learn, you have to learn, or you did back then to write. And that's what I knew how to do was write. So we uh, okay. we did my first book, uh, and it was called Motorcycle Sex. I'd gone to a publisher that I'd worked with on data, said I want to write books about motorcycles, and he said we don't know anything about motorcycles, uh, but we so know that sex that? sells. 
Oh, that had to be about 1992, 91, somewhere in there. Um, and uh, so <laughs> that was the title of the first book, Motorcycle Sex. And we sold a bunch of them. And back then, I could make uh, $10, $15 for a book uh, instead of the dollar that I make for a book now. So it, I thought, well, I can, I can make money doing books. I was writing the scripts for... Uh, films um and i produced about a dozen motorcycle travel videos again using my writing background um and i'm now uh 16 books into the motorcycle book world i've been published twice by the world's largest motor book publisher that's called motor books uh, they did one book uh these are nice books all color coffee table style books uh with um, pages that you can fold, and now they've gone digital. And right. uh, I've done a half a dozen uh, smaller publications, but 16 books, and I've got maybe two more left in me. Okay. So you started writing books. I mean, when when did the real real adventure writing start kicking in? I mean, uh, I know, you know you've written across you know, your circumference of the world six times. So when did that, you know, begin? I think the first hook was set when I saw a poster in a motorcycle, in a BMW motorcycle shop of a guy in South America on a motorcycle. Uh, his name was Danny Liska. And he had made a trip from uh, his home in Nebraska up to Dead Horse, Alaska, and then down to the bottom of South America. And, um BMW and motorcycle magazines had covered his trip a little bit. He was really unknown at the time. Um, and I saw that poster and I thought, man, a guy can ride a motorcycle to South America. And it was yeah. just, it was like an eye opener. I, I knew that I could maybe get to Alaska, but South America. So anyway, the hook was set when I saw that. And I said, okay. Uh, and his book was titled uh, Two Wheels to Adventure. Um, so there's the, motorcycle and the adventure hook having been set um, sure. and then i made trips to alaska and uh, later on uh, around the world and i've been down to now south america three times uh, uh, with motorcycles um but uh, that that was where the hook was set okay and so you know like you said you've done this six you've done this six times now I think I was reading somewhere, um, there was something unique about your fifth trip, um, wasn't there? You had a guest, you took somebody along with you? <laughs> My previous four trips were solo and a woman who was 63 years old met me and I gave her a business card and she looked at my website and she became enamored with motorcycles. She'd never been on one. She was a grandmother, had six grandchildren, uh, three lovely daughters, a couple of marriages. She was a trophy wife at one of them. And she contacted me and said, I, I want to meet you and find out more about this motorcycle and travel that you do. And we developed a friendship. And she said, I want to go around the world on a motorcycle, but I don't want to drive. And I said, well, um, you know, packing a lady on the back is a tough job. Uh, it no longer is my trip. It's our trip. And I threw up a bunch of barriers and she had a barrier, a serious one. She was in early stages of Parkinson's okay. uh, and she wanted to, uh, do this trip around the world on a motorcycle, uh, before the Parkinson's brought her to a, an end. So, um, uh, we made a couple of short trips and then finally she said, okay, let's do it. And I said, no, I don't have time. And it takes money. And she said, I'll pay. Up, ah, there was a hook. It was set. You know, it's like a big lure. And so I presented her with a budget of what it would take for two of us on one new motorcycle to go around the world. And she said, well, I didn't realize it would cost that much. Uh, so we ended up um, using four motorcycles that I have stashed around the globe on different continents. And then uh, one that I jointly owned with a doctor down in South Africa for the African leg. So we used five motorcycles. 
Uh, it took us about 14 months. We did about 30,000 miles. Uh, we were on uh, five continents. And uh, at the end, uh, we were still on speaking terms, uh, which was amazing because I'm an old woman. And here, this lovely lady had been on the back. But I, I remember we were in Argentina and, and we were stuck there. And uh, uh, at the restaurant, I, I nailed a carafe of wine before the, the main menu had come. And she said, uh, you have a problem with alcohol? I said, no, I have a problem with you. I'd been with her now for about five months to Alaska and down through South America. And it, it was me. Uh, I just wasn't used to having a companion and a right. female. And one with this disease of Parkinson's, which wasn't good. Um, no, it's not. But uh, we managed and we ended up friends uh, when she um, had to go into an assisted care facility on her wall in her room were pictures of our trip around the world. And I said, what's this? You've got grandkids and daughters. Oh, I got their picture there too. But she said, you know, that was the biggest thing I've done in my life. She said, I was a dancer. I was a trophy wife, uh, kids, grandkids, uh, was into the money game for a while. And that trip around the world, uh, you took me on, on, on the motorcycle and the people that we met uh, was the highlight of my life. Sure. But it was a, uh, Good karma, um, and uh, I wish her well wherever her spirit is now. Uh, we had a, a, a tough 14 months, uh, her trying to put up with me. And I remember once I, I said, hey, those drugs they're giving you for uh, Parkinson's, because she took a, a cocktail, five or six different pills a couple times a day. I said, give me a handful of those. I, I need whatever it is that mellows you out. <laughs> so that was trip number five. That was number five. So how did her family react to all of that? I remember the daughter said, Mom, what are you doing? Getting on the back of a motorcycle with a guy that has no visible means of support and long hair. Mom, what are you doing? <laughs> she she went against their best efforts. And, and uh, in the end, I think the, the daughters uh, were able to get it. Um, sure. that this was a, a goal that she wanted to do. And she made a couple of presentations to Parkinson's audiences later about her experience that was motivational uh, to the audience. Well, that's a hell of a swan song, you know? I mean, it really is. And, you know, to go out, you know, that way, you know, ending your life knowing that, you know, you know, things are not going good for you health-wise to be able to do that. And you were the person that could deliver that for her. So pretty remarkable that you were able to do that. Well, I wouldn't do it again. We had we had three rules. Uh, I said, look, I'm the captain of the ship. Before we leave for Alaska, uh, let's get these these rules down. Number one, I'm not dealing with cutting food. I'm not a, I'm not a healthcare provider. Uh, I'm not dealing with bathrooms. And uh, I'm not dealing with dressing. You do your own thing. Uh, when you can't do it, trip is over. So we went to Alaska and we got back to Denver, Colorado. She lived in uh, uh, the south of Denver. And I said, well, that was a tough ride. Uh, we spent about a month on the road getting used to each other. And um, I said, uh, kind of hoping that she would say, well, the rest of the trip is off. It was too hard. Because we, we did... Uh, from Seattle to my place in Montana, we did 950 miles in one day. I cut the grass at my place in Montana, and uh, she was literally drooling when we got to Montana. This is on a KLR 650 single. Uh, next day, we got up and did the 550 miles down to Denver when she was really drooling. Um, and I said, let's, uh, let's let the dust settle for a week, and we'll meet. And I'll talk about the things I saw on, your, on our trip that you did wrong. Uh, and she said, well, do I get to talk about the things that I saw that you did wrong? <laughs> and, hey, it's, it's a two-way street. But uh, we ironed them out and went on around the world. That's outstanding. So you talk about um, you talk about the fact that she loved the people you met. And I'm sure for you, you know, to venture around the world and to see these different cultures and people, that's probably the same. So. 
tell us some of the you know places you've been, um, stories, you know, people that stood out in your mind. Well, first, let me say that uh, when I look back on the million miles that I've done on motorcycles, uh, plus the six trips around the world, it's not the places that come to mind. It's the people that I've sure. met um, on those journeys. Um, just just last week, uh, I was up in Iowa on a, on a big loop, 4,000 miles up to the National Motorcycle Museum in Anamosa. Did you and, go see Jill? Uh, what's that? Did you go by and see Jill? Uh, no, it was uh, Sunday. And, no, uh, did you see Jill? Jill Parham. No, it was Sunday. Uh, I, I leave people alone on Sunday. The museum was oh, open. Okay, I didn't okay. stop to see her. But here's the story. My, my, eight miles from town, my uh, KLR's uh, chain breaks and drops onto the interstate at 70 miles an hour. And I, I roll to a stop and I go back and I'm picking up the chain and a big, nice, big black truck. He gets out and he, he says, uh, do you need, do you need any help? I said, no, nah, I've got a spare master link and I think I, I got this sussed. And so he, he said, let me turn on the flashers. So the master link didn't work. He and I got our hands dirty trying to get the chain re-threaded through the sprockets on the side of the road. Uh, we got to talk and uh, he owned an Indian motorcycle, 2016. Um, but he was, uh, before that he'd been a Harley guy. Uh, so we had Indian motorcycles in common. And then he, he said his, his wife's name was Aileen, A-I-L-E-E-N. And he said, it's a very rare name. I said, not that rare. My mother's name was Eileen, A-I-L-E-E-N, just pronounced differently. And then we discovered some other commonalities. But bottom line, it was like three o'clock in the afternoon and uh, Saturday. And I was eight miles from my motel with a chain that wasn't any good. And he said, let me call over to J&P Cycles. Maybe they've got something we can cop together. Uh, and, uh, we, he called his wife. She came out, parked behind my motorcycle and dealt with the state trooper when that guy stopped and said, Hey, what's going on here? I didn't have to deal with him. And, uh, the, my buddy, uh, um, his name, his nickname is Smalls. Um, he popped me in his truck, took me over to JNP cycles. They had the exact chain that I needed for a Kawasaki at JNP cycles. Now JNP cycles is not really known for Japanese aftermarket parts. Uh, but it was the right length. We didn't have to grind it, had the master length, and I was back rolling uh, by five o'clock. Now, at five o'clock, they would have closed. It was karma that this guy decides to pull over and help a, a Kawasaki guy on the side of the road, you know, that few seconds that we had in common. Anyway, he and I, uh, uh, it was cosmic. And uh, his wife uh, turned out to be from a reservation where my grandfather had delivered a lot of babies um, back in the early 1900s. So there may have been even a native connect with her. Um, but cool. anyway, cosmic. But anyway, Smalls, uh, of my 4,000 mile trip um, that I made last week, uh, he, he and his wife uh, stand out. Now, you know, it, it wasn't motorcycles it was just kindness on his part you know, yes. he chose to stop i didn't chose to choose to stop but anyway very cool guy um national motorcycle museum uh very cool place if you're ever anywhere near that corner of iowa stop in the museum look at the motorcycles i've got one in there i donated to john when he was alive it was a klr six that I took around the world and uh, it's the only motorcycle out of the 450 they've got that went around the world. I asked him, I said, do people look at it? He's, oh yeah, a lot of people are curious. Uh, we got racers and we got restored bikes, but that one, that one's got some miles and stories on it. Anyway, that's a story of a person and it's fresh. Yes, that's, that's <laughs> outstanding. So now you say you're, you, you've got 16 books you've read now. Um, I, I know there's one you wrote, uh, Motorcycle Adventure, you know, which, which was the early, you know, the, the first ride around the world by a guy named Carl Stearns Clancy. So tell us about that book. That that book is, uh, it sounds interesting. I, I like his history and, you know, motorcycle history in those early days is fascinating to me. About 
uh, 25 years ago, I read three sentences in a book, coffee table book about Henderson motorcycles. And mm -hmm. those three sentences said that uh, Carl Stearns Clancy had circled the globe in 1912 and 1913 on a Henderson. It hooked me. I have a Henderson motorcycle. I love it. I cherish it. Uh, so I, I could relate to that Henderson. Uh, I spent 16 years researching those three sentences to try okay. to find his route, what boat he was on, uh, what his driver's license looked like, what the deal he cut with uh, Henderson back then. The, the Henderson brothers owned the company from 1911 to uh, uh, 1917 when they sold it to Mr. Schwinn, who went on to make bicycles. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, uh, I had been under the impression that other guys had been the first. And I knew a couple guys that promoted themselves as being the first to circle the globe in the 1960s and 70s. Not so. Here's a 21-year-old guy in 1912 uh, with a buddy. And they started out, the two of them, from uh, New York to uh, Dublin. And uh, on day one, the other guy crashed out. Um, they ended up uh, parting ways, and the 21-year-old went on around the world by himself. Um, but it took me 16 years to find all the pieces. That stuff wasn't on the Internet. It was in dusty sure. boxes at the bottom of the AMA Museum in, in Pickerington, Ohio. Um, he wrote some articles, 25 articles, for a magazine uh, that was bicycle and motorcycle magazine in New York that went out of business in 1914. So I, I had to find those articles and uh, I had to find uh, proof that this guy was really honest. And there was no verification, but uh, uh, at the end, uh, I uh, felt comfortable enough to put my name on the book. And it's called Motorcycle Adventurer. Uh, and uh, it's the recounting of his trip around the world in 1912, 1913 mostly from the magazine publications. Uh, he, when he finished the trip, he uh, tried to rewrite that stuff. He got a manuscript done and nobody would buy it. Uh, it went into the nether zone. Um, but when my book came out, a guy in Australia wrote me and said, hey, I've got that manuscript that he couldn't sell. Are you interested? Uh, and I said, oh yeah, send it to me. Uh, so that one uh, I then republished um, with his editorial changes. And one of the things that he noted in the second one that wasn't in the first, he said, when I made this trip, I left a boy. When I got back, I was a man. That's quite a statement for a 21-year-old guy that goes out there alone in 1912, 1913 to go through countries like Africa. Um, Italy wouldn't let him take his motorcycle off the boat. Um, Spain, they didn't know what to do with him. We were just done with the Spanish-American War, and here's an American showing up at their border. Um, and there was no internet, nobody to call. Uh, he carried a gun with him. We can't do that today. Wow. Uh, he, he had a six-shot uh, twenty-two caliber handgun. Um, but uh, a great story. He went on to uh, produce silent films in Hollywood. Never did anything with motorcycles again, um, but he went back to Europe that he traveled through in 1912, 1913 uh, with a guy um, and uh, uh, made silent films. And um, <laughs> uh, that guy went on to fame and fortune. Um, Carl Stern's Clancy kind of dropped. He didn't make the transition. That guy's name uh, was Will Rogers. If you're old yeah. enough, remember Will Rogers. He made, oh, yeah. They made films called uh, Will Rogers in Berlin, Will Rogers in London, Will Rogers in Paris, uh, silent films. Yeah. But Carl Stearns Clancy uh, did go on to uh, uh, write a, a, another kind of a, a, a book. It was called The Adventurous Sex. Uh, so he had the word adventure, but in his, in his writing, uh, uh, all those 24, 25 articles he did for magazines, he never used the word adventure. But then when he came out with this small book, 
It was called The Adventurous Sex. It wasn't about motorcycles. It was about the opposite sex. Uh, and it wasn't um, sexually um, directed. It was just a hook. Um, then he then he made a film. Uh, uh, you guys are, remember The Headless Horseman? Oh, yeah. That rang a bell? Uh, the story of Ichabod Crane. Why? Yeah. He used Will Rogers. He wrote the script for The Headless Horseman, which was about a 13 minute film. So he had his hands in a lot of interesting stuff, but he died in 1971 in Arlington, Virginia, uh, working for the Department of Agriculture. And again, never did anything with motorcycles. Um, he, he, had, he, he said if he were ever to make another trip around the world, he'd use another Henderson. Um, but you know, Henderson's back then were the were the choice by cops because they could outrun the Harleys and the Indians. But oh, amazing, they were they amazing, were that a, yeah, amazing that a guy could go around the world with seven horsepower, uh, nine hundred and thirty three cubic inch four cylinder engine with no front brake and no suspension. We have hundreds out there trying to do that right now with GPSs and electronics that uh, make your uh, your head spin. Uh, and here's a guy that was able to do it without all of that stuff. So he had one hell of an adventure. Oh, you look at even some of the old uh, things, writings of people doing, uh, you know, coast to coast rides in the 1920s and early 20s. And they talk about how you know, difficult that was and the breakdowns and the issues. And I'm sure he had a lot of breakdowns you know, found himself waiting around to get the thing fixed or taken care of before he could go on. So I can't imagine. He uh, he said the tough, the, he landed in San Francisco, hooked up with another guy. They went from San Francisco, Sacramento, and then north to Portland, Oregon, and then the cross from Portland, Oregon to Billings, Montana, and then Minneapolis down to Chicago and uh, back to Connecticut. Um, he did the Minneapolis, or Chicago, Minneapolis piece to alone but anyway he said the toughest part of his whole trip around the world was that section between uh, sacramento and uh portland oregon um one day he said he fell down 17 times uh that, get, that gets old picking up well, i don't care what it is 17 times in the mud ruts but he said the toughest road in the world that he encountered was between sacramento and portland oregon really and now you got now you got Route Five, and that's you know Highway Five, and that's just you know an icy road. And it covers a lot of the route that he took back then. They just Absolutely. got built over the road. Wow, that's that's something else. So now you know out there riding, you know, and, and going around the world. I mean, we we talked about you know you you love the people and stuff like that. But where where have you been that you really enjoyed riding? You know, I get asked that question in different ways a lot. What's the best? Um, if you like uh, mountains and twisties and perfect pavement, um, the Alps, Switzerland, Northern Italy, yep. Germany, Austria. Uh, but uh, when it comes, the Alps are, are beautiful, but they're not as high as the Rocky Mountains. No. Uh, and... Uh, when it comes to your off-road choices, again, I look at the Rocky Mountains and the mining roads in Colorado, for instance. Uh, if you if you're if if that's your, you know, destination is to do gravel roads, uh, Colorado is a tough place to to beat. You know, I I went across Russia, which was eight time zones, and I only had to do 45 miles of gravel. Uh, really, you know, people think, well, Russia's third world, but uh, uh, there was one road across Russia, and uh, other than 42 miles of construction, uh, it was pavement. Um, and the other question is about uh, scenery. And uh, uh, people go to the middle of Australia to look at one red rock. Uh, <laughs> red rock. Uh, I tell people, you just go down to the corner of Utah and northern New Mexico and uh in that four corners area you guys yeah, beautiful. beautiful rocks it, you know it made it into easy rider <laughs> they picked the right spot to go to so um i say that part of the world is is if, if you're looking for 
scenery in Red Rocks. Uh, save your trip to Ayers Rock for three days uh, to look at one rock. It's right here in America. Absolutely. That's good advice. I mean, I agree. I mean, I've done the Alps. I uh, lived in northern Italy. You know, yeah, it's great riding. It's 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 beautiful. But and right here in our backyard, I mean, you talked early, you know, back way back when going to Sturgis. I'm sure you've been back, but that riding around there, that's I think that's what makes Sturgis special. A lot yeah, of great riding. Great scenery and, and roads in and around you know, the Black Hills. Yep. Absolutely. You know, that's that's wonderful stuff. So um books do you have of your books i mean is there one in particular that stands out in your mind that you you know that you're particularly proud of or fond of well of course uh, i think all my books are great but uh, uh several of them are out of print they were done back when you did uh, you know half tones and pasted them up and shot them with a camera uh those those are out of the 16 i think uh, only uh six are now available um I liked motorcycle sex because it was so controversial. It got okay. me. It got me. I, I had guys, you know, editors of big motorcycle magazines saying, Dr. Frazier, you are so bad. You are wrong. You are out there so far because you cannot mix motorcycles and sex. And yet I'd interviewed the chief designer for BMW motorcycles. And I asked him, is there any relationship between motorcycles and sex? And that designer said, it's all about sex. <laughs> so uh, I was glad when that editor lost his job. But anyway, motorcycle sex got me onto the radar screen. Um, it's not a hard read. It's a, it's it may go up digital at the end of this year. We're we're playing with it. But that was in the nineties. Um, I think uh, my book Down and Out, um, which is a coffee table book. It's available as a ebook and also a print copy. Um, is a good one. It talks about myself and how I got to wh where, what, how I do what I do. Um, and it, it's a fun read. Um, okay. I think uh, the Clancy book, Motorcycle Adventurer, for the guys that want to look back in history um, and, and don't believe that Charlie and Ewan were the first guys to go around the world on motorcycles. Uh, for the Discovery Channel or ESPN, whoever they produced that for them. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Carl Stearns Clancy, it's a good historical um, look. And then my recent book called Frazier Shrugged, Adventure Motorcyclist. Just Google Frazier Shrugged. It's, it's available now on Amazon and a couple of uh, other places. Um, we took a, a look at what adventure motorcycling was, is in the first part of this century and our reflection and i say our i used a, an editor who's the senior editor at a magazine called adventure moto um and uh, he and i picked through uh, a number of things that i looked at in, in the previous 35 years doing what i do which is adventure motorcycling and we tried to uh, give the reader a picture of what exactly is adventure motorcycling um, like I said, in that um, Steppenwolf song, get out on a highway looking for adventure. That was 68. Now they're sticking the word adventure on adventure motorcycling underwear, adventure yep. motorcycling boots, adventure motorcycling helmets. Uh, anyway, uh, we took a look at uh, where and are you an adventure motorcyclist in this part of the 21st century? And that's a fresh book. That's just out. And uh, we call it uh, uh, Exposing the Dirty Underbelly of Adventure Motorcycling, just to have a little fun. I don't take myself too serious. So when you read that book, you can laugh with me or you can laugh at me. Okay. So um, now I, I, I particular will probably go order the uh, Carl Stern's Clancy book that you wrote uh, when we get off of here. So where should I order that from? Because, you know, I want to make sure because and I look at what's happened to music artists. You know, they used to be they make a lot of money off their albums. They don't make any money off albums. What do they do? They charge more money for their concerts and everything else. Um, you don't really have that kind of ability necessarily to do that. Your book is your book. OK, so where is it going to benefit you the most if we order books and other people that read this, you know, see this podcast here? 
Uh, the big gorilla, Amazon.com, has got the okay. print copy or the digital um, Kindle copy. Um, the the money that filters down to guys like me, uh, even if I were to try to market it myself, uh, by the time I put all those things together, the big gorilla does a better job. Uh, gotcha. So anyway, out there on the internet, Amazon.com, uh, iUniverse is another source. That's the direct source, but okay. uh, that's where it can be found. And Amazon's got uh, my current book. It just went up last month. Uh, um, adventure motorcyclist Fraser Shrug. So, you know, click okay. on that one too. That one, you, yeah. you, know, you get. That. <laughs> Carl, you get a look at Carl Stern's Clancy in Adventure Motorcyclist uh, um, and his trip around the world, and then you get a laugh at me um, in Fraser Shrugged, uh, which is a, a play on. You remember Aaron Rand's book uh, Atlas Shrugged? Where you know they got the guy holding up the globe of the world um, yeah. on the cover. Well, that's that's where the cover for the Fraser shrugged. Um, it's a it's a little bit existential, but it's not a deep read. Um, okay, it's, it's a fun read. Well, fun reads are good. I like fun reads on traveling. Yeah, and when I do a fair amount of traveling, if something's a fun read that's uh you know a little lighthearted, you know that just uh, that changes my mode sometimes. So traveling can't is not always easy, as you know. And speaking of travel not being easy, I mean, tell us about some of the difficulties or you know dangers maybe you've run into. I mean, you've had to have. Well, I've been thrown in jail in Honduras. That wasn't fun. Uh, that uh, is on my cranial hard drive. Is not to go back to Honduras again. Uh, I've been in Honduras. I've been there. I mean, I spent a lot of time. So what happened there? Uh, there were two cops and one of them reached to, to take my second camera saying I didn't need to. And uh, I stepped back and the cop fell down. And the one that was kind of watching traffic turned and saw his buddy laying on the ground and pulled his gun and pointed it at me. And then I really screwed up. I took his gun away. Uh, oh. Oh. Uh, and then clicked on Dr. Gregg's cranial hard drive. You've made a serious mistake here. And I gave his gun back, but they followed me to jail on a bicycle, one on the handlebars holding the gun pointed at me on my motorcycle. Um, I think I paid about $260 to get out of jail. Uh, anyway, that's Honduras. It's in a book out there called Riding South. Um, the tough parts uh, for me, like tires, um, I don't like to carry tires. They're ugly. They get dirty. Uh, if, you know, um, uh, I, I've been a fan of Avon tires for 40 years. Um, they're not uh, the choice of everybody, but I know exactly what I'm getting when I got them and how many miles I'm going to get out of them so I can plan the next depot or where to look for. And, and most importantly, you know, what I'm going to get out of that tire. Uh, Avon Tire Company in England, they only make 350,000 tires in a year. Uh, there's a, a YouTube clip. Uh, their tires are a piece of artwork. Um, and uh, so I've had some really junk tires. Happy to get them when I was on the road. But uh, tires, and even for Clancy, he was using Goodyear tires, uh, shipped out ahead of him to get around the world. So tires are a, are a difficulty. Uh, clothing. Uh, what do you wear? I wear all the gear all the time. Uh, I'm a fan of a, a U.S. company called Arrow Stitch up in Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, I've been with their gear since 1997. Uh, there's different gear out there. There's cheaper gear, um, but I like their stuff. It's made in America. It's provided yeah. in America, and they repair their stuff. And a guy like me that's fallen down on six of the seven continents I like a place where I can get it repaired. <laughs> anyway, team up there. Um, and uh, then the, I think the final difficulty is uh, overcoming your own uh, beta factor, I call it, uh, your fear factor. Okay. Um, take it on. Okay. Great chatting with you. Um, let's do it again sometime. We'll talk about motorcycles and sex. There you go. So um, before, uh, so 
you know, you mentioned something you talked about, you know, sending stuff ahead. And I was kind of curious about that because, you know, people, you know, preparation for trips like you did, um, you know, it's a lot of preparation. Did you do, did you send things out ahead and, and pick those things up along the way, or did you just go with it? The only things I've ever sent out ahead were tires. Okay. Um, I had tires drop shipped to me in Germany after I left Africa. I wanted new tires to go across Russia. And uh, I wanted my Avon tires. I could get other tires, but I knew Russia was eight time zones. And uh, uh, so I had them shipped ahead. And then it's nice to have a little money waiting for you. Uh, I try to make sure that uh, it can be shipped to me. I, I leave a, a considerable deposit with my attorney, uh, who I hope when he gets the call, doesn't say who, 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 right. <laughs> but will wire me uh, the money that I might need. I got to Africa one time and realized that I didn't have enough money. And um, I had to stop my trip, fly home, sell my truck, restock my money mm-hmm. supply and go back to Africa. So uh, I've learned uh, money really. Uh, being out there, whether it's ahead of you or it's uh, available, and uh, uh, some other things that I've thought about shipping ahead uh, was motorcycles, but they're so expensive to get across water, and the earth is seventy-five percent water now, and the price of a container, air cargo, you name it, you can no longer ride up to the air cargo depot in America and do your deal. You got to go through a freight forwarder and it's expensive. Um, used to be able to do it for about a thousand dollars. I'm looking at a guy right now. He's, he's looking at $5,000 to get his Harley over to uh, Europe. Uh, you can rent for $250 a day, a yes. really yes. nice Harley. Um, and and <laughs> uh, there's a month right there and you don't have to maintain it and ship it back. So uh, shipping stuff out ahead, a tough call. Um, The price of of mail, DHL, FedEx, all that stuff right now. Um, I think you're just going to have, I choose to be creative. Uh, I've been known to to use some uh, Honda parts on my uh, uh, American-made motorcycles, and I've been known to use some uh, uh, American-made motorcycle parts on my Japanese motorcycles and German motorcycles. That's outstanding. So with every if with every show that we do here, we ask our guests three questions. They're, they're the same three questions of everybody, but we love the variety of answers. I think your answers are going to be uh, very insightful, so I'm really looking forward to this. You ready for the questions? Fire away, Mario. Okay. So if you could go ride with anybody, living or past, um, who would you like to ride with? Carl Stearns Clancy. There you go. That's pretty cool. Um, and then if you could own any motorcycle, you know, um, any motorcycle is available to you to you to own, what would it be? Tough call. There's so many good motorcycles out there. Um, yes, there is. Um, uh, I'll go with my Henderson 1931. Okay. Uh, the book says if you've got one, love it and cherish it. It was the best motorcycle ever made. So um, I'll, I'll go with that. And then the last one, if you could go ride anywhere in the world, and this is this is, this is being you, you know, somewhere that you haven't been, somewhere you'd like to go, where would you like to go? Another tough question. I'm. I just finished 4,000 miles doing what I called uh, a trip called Looking for America. Colorado, Nebraska, Iowa, uh, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming. And it was an eye opener. Um, I fall back on Kerouac's uh, 150 page scroll uh, that he did in 1950 or 51 uh, with him and his buddy traveling back and forth across. We got a lot to offer in the United States of America, whether it's Hawaii, Alaska, or the lower 48. 
Uh, we've got everything everybody else has, and it's right here at our fingertips. Sure so that's my answer. Made in the USA. There you go. Well, you know, I think I think that's I think that's great. People hear that from you because you have a perspective that others don't. You know, you've seen it all. You wrote it all. Um, and for people to hear that, to realize, hey, I've got everything right here to enjoy, appreciate, you know, be it from the mountain. I mean, look at Colorado, great example. I mean, you can go across the high plains and up, up in the mountains, drop down into um, Glenwood, Colorado on the other side, you know, and it's nice and beautiful, you know. Well, Glenwood, that's halfway through. I'm trying to think of the name, the town on the other side, but... They know I'm sitting here back in the desert, you know, too far from Monument Valley. You can be on the south side in the desert as well. Oil fields and everything else. You see it all just in one state for the most part. Um, couldn't argue with you there. Not so. a bit. So we really appreciate you coming on. Um, we're going to, you know, I hope everybody you know, picks up one of your books, reads about your adventures, and uh, gets your, a little bit of your insight. Um, if anybody wants to find out more about you, what's the best best place to look? Oh, Dr. Google. I, I, I look at him about once a month to see what I'm doing. There you uh, good, go. Good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, that's, I, you know, I've worked in the industry for 35 years, so I worked for a lot of major magazines. Um, and uh, I have a dated website, but I'm out there. That's the net. They can find me. And uh, I, I'm always happy to answer questions when people find me and, and have a question. I'm not I'm not a high so guy. I'm I'm a low so guy. I learn more from the questions they ask me than I do from my answers. That's wonderful. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. I know I know the folks that follow us are really going to enjoy this interview, and uh, and I hope to have you back someday. You know, maybe when you're out one of your adventures, uh, we can. We can talk about what you're in the middle of. Sounds good to me, Mario. Um, some people say it's uh, it's about the journey. Uh, at my age, I say it's about the miles. I love it. Dr. Fraser, thank you so much for coming on. Ciao, ciao. Good Thanks. Good night.